I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. How do you feel about assassinations? Assassinations in general. I'm not asking morally how you feel. Set that aside for for the moment. And don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to kill anyone. Please don't kill anybody. In general, 
a tribe, a nation, an empire. What do you feel about assassinations? Not whether it's right or wrong. Again, set that aside. Do you consider it to be effective? If so, how effective? And this is not this is not a shock value radio segment here. This is something nations have struggled with for a long time. Especially in the more civilized, more Christian, modern era. You'll see a lot more struggle with this. When I say nations have struggled with this for a long time, I mean several of these historical societies just simply would not think twice about killing somebody morally. But is it effective is always the question. We as a country, we kill people, absolutely. We assassinate people. We do not do it as simply the norm. That I'm not sugarcoating America. We have killed. We have had plenty of people assassinated. We will have plenty more assassinated. But we don't do it as you know our normal outlet, our normal way to get something done. Other countries approach it differently. Russia, obviously, unsurprisingly, so Russia routinely kills tons of people internally and externally. They don't have any moral compunction about it, and they just view it as a very effective means of, of getting done what they want done. Israel, famous for it. There's a great book Chris and I are reading right now called Rise and Kill First. It's Rise and Kill First or Rise Up and Kill First, Chris? Rise and Kill First is the book. And it's about... Israel's history of political assassinations. Don't say allegedly, Chris. Don't don't be such a Jewish homer. <laughs> but look, there, and you you guys know I I like that. I like their take no crap. Let's get things done. But they struggle with it too, not only morally from their religion. They struggle and have had several arguments with how effective is it? It's really what we're asking about. How effective is it? What are your thoughts on assassination? Well, it's complicated. There are times, unquestionably, where even if it doesn't take care of the overall problem, you're perfectly justified in doing so. Remember Kassam Soleimani, that Iranian scumbag? And Trump ordered a, a Hellfire missile, I believe it was, dropped into his lap in a car, just incinerated him. This dude trained and funded insurgents all over Iraq to blow our boys up. You know a veteran? who's missing legs or arms or both from Iraq, there is a good chance the person who set that bomb that blew up that veteran was somehow linked to Qasem Soleimani. So whether it took care of our problem or not, morally totally fine. But back to the beginning, I don't want to get sidetracked off my own issue. Setting morally aside, okay, scumbag, deserved to die a thousand times. 
Was it effective? Did it work? I think the answer to these questions, oftentimes, it lies in how powerful the movement is behind the man you're assassinating. And that can get confusing. It's hard to tell. If you assassinate Qasem Soleimani because he's out there sponsoring terror all over the place, training people. All right, so this guy's got to die. Okay? All right? Are they going to stop sponsoring terror once he's dead? Are you sure there's not somebody right behind him who's going to step in and fill that vacuum Who's not better and smarter and deadlier than Qasem Soleimani? How much support did Qasem Soleimani's program have within his own country? I'm not dogging on that assassination. I'm asking questions that have to be asked. And really what I'm getting down to is people have to realize, and sometimes it's hard to realize, that movements of any kind, movements are oftentimes not defined by one man or two men. They can be led for a time by one man, and one man can help some kind of a movement move forward quicker, or a crappy leader can can stall a movement temporarily, slow it down. He sucked at this, he sucked at that. But people make the mistake all the time of thinking a movement is just the dude at the top. Oftentimes, that's not the case. In Rome, there was a situation. We're talking in the 100s B.C. here. There was a situation. And here was the situation on the ground. Rome, by now, is big boy, big boy powerful. Rome's out there winning wars against Carthage. We've talked before about the Punic Wars, the Rome Wars against Carthage. There were three of them. But... Carthage was no chump. You're winning wars against a mega, mega, mega powerful nation like Carthage. When you lose that war, you're wiped out. But you win that war, you're filthy rich. Filthy rich. And Rome is quickly figuring out, um, we can really take anybody we want right now. And Rome didn't have, you know, many qualms about going to war. Don't get me wrong. You'd have senators get up there and him and ha. This is not right. This is wrong. But they'd eventually find some excuse to take over the next country along the border and then the next country along the border. And, well, we can't just let them set up on the border. And Rome's system, at this point, Rome was ruled by the Senate and ruled by an aristocratic class, to put it mildly. 
Almost all the senators were part of this aristocratic class. And when Rome went off to war, remember, it was consuls, proconsuls, senators leading troops into battle. And war was absurdly profitable back then. Really profitable for the man who's leading it. You didn't just march off to war with the Roman legion behind you just because it's the right thing to do. These guys got really, really rich along the way. Really rich along the way. And there's another form of currency. And it was becoming a problem. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. On air and online at jessekellyshow.com. I know you're not sleeping right now. Or maybe you just have some general anxiety right now. Or, and let's be frank about this, this is most of us anymore. Your joints hurt now and then, don't they? I, I look, I'm not going to lie, I woke up last week and my knuckle hurt so bad. I didn't do anything to it, it just hurt, just joint pain. This is all part of growing older. The anxiety, the sleeplessness, that's part of, well, that's part of the way it is right now. Doctors Trusted CBD has natural solutions for what you're going through. Natural solutions, not pills. Please, put away the pill bottle. Try CBD, tested CBD. Go to DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. That's DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. Use the promo code JESSE. That gets you free shipping and $5 off. There was a new form of currency that comes to Rome. And this was a common form of currency throughout the history of mankind. And it was absurdly profitable. And it's called slaves. Rome was out there winning wars. And this is long, long, long before... The era of, well, let's treat our, uh, let's treat the guy we conquered with dignity and respect. No, actually, you're all coming with me in chains and you're all worth a fortune. And these slaves were coming into Rome in waves, absolute waves. And what they were doing was, Working for the rich people who could afford to buy them, slaves were taking over every single part of Roman society. If you're a wealthy person of means and you can afford to buy slaves, well, 
you have slaves do everything you want. You know, to, to make it more modern, you ever looked at a profit loss sheet or in the very least, do you know what one is? Here's your business stuff. Here's what's going out. Here's what's going in. What's coming in. You want to know like the biggest black mark on that profit loss sheet throughout the history of mankind and every single employer looks at it and tries to figure out ways to reduce it? Labor cost. Now imagine if you didn't have any moral issues with slavery as the Romans didn't and you could look at an ancient Roman profit loss sheet and you could say, wow, my labor costs are 100000 What do you mean I can buy some slaves and reduce those costs to, oh, zero? They were doing it. You owned a big plantation. You owned a factory. You owned anything. Why would I bother paying you? When I can buy a slave, I'll buy a family of slaves and they'll crank out kids and I'll have slaves forever. I've got slaves working my factory. I've got slaves doing my gardening. I've got slaves doing my cooking. I've got slaves tutoring my kids in math and science. I have a slave teaching my son how to ride horseback. I have a slave who's teaching my family how to fight better with a sword and a shield. I have a slave doing the ancient Roman version of paving the driveway coming into my home. I have female slaves I keep in the house for other things. That happened. I know it's awful and ugly, but it happened all the time. It was routine. These were considered property. Well, you may think, and I hope you have some moral issues with it, but you may think life ain't bad for the rich guy then, and you would be correct, right? Well, who was working in the factory before? Who was doing the gardening before? Who was tutoring the kids before, cooking the meals before? Real people, you see, all of Rome wasn't wealthy. Rome was no different than any other city in the history of mankind. You had wealthy people. You had middle class. You had poor. And you have all these middle class people the gardeners, the factory workers, the driveway pavers, they're running out of jobs because the slaves are taking over everything. And not only are they running out of jobs, the rich people, because now they're getting so mega wealthy because there's no more there's no more labor cost. This rich farmer is getting super wealthy. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and buy your farm from you. And now they're gobbling up all the land. Now, I don't have a job anymore. I was a great factory worker. I don't have a job. I couldn't afford to keep my farm, so the rich guy bought it. I'm now living in squalor in the city, trying to find a way to feed my wife, my three kids. I have to bank on the city itself, handing out loaves of bread so my family doesn't starve. Rome was experiencing a humongous shift. And this was the shift. The shift was all these Roman citizens, and there were tons of them who weren't wealthy. They had had enough. And here was the problem, the system. How many times have we been talking about the system lately? Well, Rome had a system too. And the Roman system at this point in time, well, 
Who do you think these wealthy plantation owners were? They were all senators. Brothers of senators, senators themselves, fathers of senators, sons of senators. The Roman Senate who ran Rome, they were also the ones owning all the plantations. So what kind of laws do you think the Senate was passing at the time? Do you think they were laws to help the poor plebs? Or do you think they were laws to enrich themselves even further? Society was separating big time. Big time. (laughs) And there was this feeling of, especially in, in the high society, there was this feeling of, tell me if any of this is starting to sound at all familiar, of, well, I mean, we're superior to them. No, we're not we're not gonna obey laws ourselves. Well, no, I don't why would I have to obey laws? I'm in power. I'm I have all the power. Yeah, I have all the money too. I mean, who cares about what these guys think? I'll tell them what to do and they'll have to do it. I'm the senator, I'm the plantation owner, you're the plebs. And an anger begins to build. And begins to build and begins to build and begins to build. Now let's pause for just a moment on that anger. Rome was obviously an an aristocratic society. They loved their heroes. Their heroes would move on to be senators and consuls and their sons after them and their sons after them and their sons after them. Rome was all about that family name life. I've told you before, Romans, especially their aristocracy, had rooms in their homes of the faces of their dead relatives. Yes, oftentimes the actual skin of their dead relatives. And they would take their sons in there and say, this is your uncle here, and this is your brother here. This was your grandfather. Your grandfather's the one who fought this battle. That's how they were raised. Family was a big deal. Let's pause on the plebs and all this for a moment, and we're going to rewind back to Carthage. They had to take down Carthage eventually. And Hannibal, everybody knows the great Hannibal Barca. By now he was done terrorizing Rome. He was in Carthage. And he had to take on this new hotshot Roman general. And this hotshot Roman general's name was Scipio Africanus. Yes, as you can imagine, the Africanus didn't come later, didn't come till after this. Scipio Africanus takes down Carthage, takes down the legendary Hannibal. Scipio Africanus becomes a legend in Rome. Legend in Rome. Well, he has a son. And then he has sons. And Scipio Africanus' grandsons, well, they see an opportunity.
one in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. The grandsons of Scipio Africanus. They begin to see the plight of the urban poor, and they begin to push for things. They get a new office called Tribune of the Plebs. Tribune of the Plebs was this. You see, the Senate was aware how powerful the plebs were becoming because there were so many of them. And they got this office, Tribune of the Plebs, set up. And it was, you are the government's represent. You represent the plebs to the government. And it was immensely powerful. They could veto anything the consul or the Senate did. You had power to do that. Now, you couldn't pass legislation. But you could force people to meet. And you could veto their legislation. Giving... You, giving you the tribune of the plebs, I mean, you can hold everybody hostage with the power to veto everything, right? Oh, you don't, you guys don't want to pass my bill, giving giving some land to the plebs? Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, no, no, no. You won't, you won't be passing anything then until my bill gets passed. You see how that works, everyone? Up, oh, veto, veto, veto in that, veto in that. You want to revisit my land bill again? And the Senate was starting to get extremely angry and resentful about the fact they're not the only ones running things anymore. And the Senate, well, they begin organizing opposition, sometimes violent opposition. There were two of these Grocky brothers, two of them. They killed them both. Oh, Thank goodness that scourge is over. Yeah, but you killed the Grocky brothers. You didn't kill the movement. And so a new leader arose and a new leader arose and a new leader arose. Finally, you end up with a man by the name of Gaius Marius. We've talked about him before on the show. Gaius Marius was what was considered a new man, they called it. He didn't come from this aristocratic family. He 
one of those guys picked himself up by his bootstraps and was this mega, mega, mega accomplished general. And Gaius Marius, as you can imagine, very much related to the plight of the plebs. He wasn't one of these fancy schmancy senator types. He related to the average guy, the little guy, the working class. And Gaius Marius came up, and Gaius Marius takes over. And Gaius Marius eventually takes over Rome. For about a five-year period in the 80s B.C., Gaius Marius is running Rome, running it. And you know what they did, the Romans? They killed him, too. They killed him, too. A man by the name of Sulla arose. Lucius Cornelius Sulla. Sulla was a man who had served under Gaius Marius. Served under him in a war in Numidia. Rome had been stuck in a war in Numidia. They were having a hard time winning the war in Numidia. So... They had to come up with new tactics. You see, the Numidians wouldn't stand and fight. They would not stand and fight. They would hit and run and retreat to the mountains. They couldn't get their handle on it. Well, Gaius Marius's underling, Sulla, many say Sulla came up with the plan. Some said Gaius Marius came up with the plan. Whatever the plan was, Sulla himself, put at great personal risk, went and did some big act of deception and essentially won the war. Gaius Marius, though, takes virtually all the credit for winning the war, gives Sulla none of it. Sulla and Marius were then enemies forever. Gaius Marius takes over. Sulla wants power. Gaius Marius wants power. But Sulla, Sulla wanted things the way they had been before. All right, enough of this Tribune of the Plebs stuff. Enough of this voice of the people stuff. All that is going to be gone. And they actually fight a civil war over it. They fight a civil war over it, and Gaius Marius actually loses. He loses to Sulla. Sulla steps into power, And Sulla immediately starts not killing a person. Sulla steps into power. Remember that question about assassination? Sulla steps in and Sulla starts killing everybody. And I mean everybody of any significance who opposed him making things the way they were before. No more tribunes. Only the Senate. We are the ones who run things. He had these, he was famous for these prescriptions, they were called, where he would just simply list, here are all the people who need to die, and you can have a monetary reward if you bring me their head. And oftentimes it was just a rich guy, and Sulla wanted his money. It was a terrible human being. But Sulla, because he was a very capable human being, he pulls all this off. I want you to understand. Sulla succeeded. in everything he wanted. 100%. He got Rome back exactly the way he wanted it. Screw the plebs. Senate's in charge. We're doing things the old way now. And not only did he have it all done, he had killed virtually all his significant opponents. 
Okay, well, surely that worked, right? We won't hear any more from these plebs. Everyone else is dead. Their leaders are dead. Anyone Sulla even suspected of possibly becoming a new leader of the plebs was, was gone, killed. Anybody. Sulla looks at everything he's accomplished and does one of those <sighs> nice. And he retires. He does it and does it so well, he retires. Wrap your mind around that. All that fighting, all that anything. Sala says, oh, it's done. I accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. It's done. But it wasn't done. You see, Sala ended up kicking the bucket not long after he retired. Along comes a man. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, he came from an aristocratic family, but an aristocratic family that had fallen on some hard times. Julius Caesar had lived some of his childhood in you know, an apartment building surrounded by construction workers and things like that. So he spoke the language of the plebs. And Caesar arose. And I don't have to go through the entire Julius Caesar story right now, but Caesar rises to power, eventually marches on Rome. Done with this whole Senate thing. I am now Caesar. I am the emperor. Completely blows up the system, right? Wait, this is Rome is a republic. Everyone knows Rome's a republic. What? And then what happened to Julius Caesar? Ended up laying down with a bunch of stab wounds in him, bleeding to death on the Senate floor. Well, that surely took care of it, right? Wrong. After Caesar came Augustus. Are you seeing what I'm trying to tell you? I'm going to explain something that's happening. Hang on. I love that I have a car shield plan. And in case you're wondering, yes, I went all in and I have a platinum car shield plan. I'm currently having to use said platinum plan. And look, it's exactly as I told you it was. It's phenomenal. They're America's number one auto protection company for a reason. And I am not dumping on the smaller companies. But when you're a big company like CarShield, you have the power to give your customers options. And that's what I love about it. I got to choose my plan from a variety of plans. I got to choose the mechanic where I'm having my pickup truck worked on. That's the freedom and flexibility CarShield gives me. And they can give it to you too. Go to CarShield.com. That's CarShield.com. If you use the promo code JESSE, that gets you 10% off. CarShield.com. A deductible may apply. The Jesse Kelly Show. 
What happened with Donald Trump and the Donald Trump era has been so misdefined by the left, shoot, by the entire system itself, by the right. People are lost when it comes to Trump, and it blows me away how people cannot see what Trump was and what he wasn't. First of all, Donald Trump, no question about it, because he's a political phenom, took a growing movement that was already there, like one of the Grocky brothers did, and put a face on it, gave it a message, and advanced its cause, whether he gets another four years of president or not. He leapt the cause forward. No question about it. But I, I, I'm, I'm frankly dumbfounded how people can be so naive and stupid to think that the Trump movement is about Donald Trump and that the Trump movement goes away when Trump is gone. Trump is one of the Grocky brothers, people. Very similar, actually, because they were a populist movement, and that's what Trump is. Trump is the appetizer. You could get rid of Donald Trump a thousand times, and another one will rise again. There is a movement going on, and you should be inspired by this. In the United States of America, there is a movement going on. Tens of millions of people Tens of millions of people who will not live under this leftist cultural rot. They will not. They are outright rejecting it. That's you. That's me. However, that's where the good news probably ends. Because let me explain where this goes from here. Remember Donald Trump was one of the Grocky brothers? Did the new leaders of the plebs get nicer as we went along? Donald Trump, you think this is the end of some long national nightmare? Donald Trump was the polite appetizer for what's coming. These leftists are so sick, anti-American and deranged now. They are going to yank this country. You know, Nancy Pelosi, there are reports out. I don't know if I believe this or not. There are reports out that Nancy Pelosi does not have the votes to be the next Speaker of the House. They're already ditching the old guard. This leftist party is about to get so radical and insane that the right, in response, because society seeks a balance, is going to choose anybody and I do mean anybody, to stop them because people are going to be desperate and they're not going to want to live under that. Donald Trump was the polite appetizer. And no, I don't have a name in mind. I don't know who it is. Maybe he's not born yet. Maybe he's coming up through the ranks right now. Maybe he'll emerge in a year. I don't know. But I do know this. That is a movement, the movement on the right right now, the Trump populist nationalist movement is not a movement that is going away and everyone's just going to go home and suck their thumbs because Donald Trump lost the election, if he lost. We'll see how that works out. 
And I'm floored how many people can't see this. In fact, you know what I see so much on the right now? So by the pundits, not the people so much, but, you know, at least half the pundits on the right are just useless. They're part of the system. I see so much of the, whoo, thank goodness that's over. Oh, glad things can finally get back to normal. Look, I don't like you. You see this all the time. Look, I don't like Joe Biden, obviously. But, man, it'll it'll sure be nice to have everything quiet down and, and go back to normal again. Buddy, there is no going back to normal. I have been screaming about this since Donald Trump, who I opposed in the primary, was curb stomping everybody in the primary. I have been screaming about this at the right. Either you find the balls to defeat the left, whatever that entails, you find the balls to defeat the left, or the people are going to find someone who will. I see these people on the right all over the place. Ah, I can't wait. You know what we'll do? We'll nominate Nikki Haley in 2024. That's what we need Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is what the pundit class It's what they think they can feed the stupid Donald Trump rubes to get things back to normal, but let them think it's kind of a Trump-type thing. Nikki Haley is going to get massacred in her run for 2024, and what's the best part of it is? The GOP pundit class is going to be stunned. They're going to be absolutely stunned about it. Well, how how could they not pick Nikki Haley? You idiot. You aren't paying attention. Listen. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 